We have opportunity to finish Leviticus on a high note. Not that the other notes haven't been edifying, but it's a little hard to understand some of those sacrifices. However, we are coming toward the end of Leviticus, and I'm just going to, I chose to do not quite the last chapter, but close to it, and not all the chapter, but part of it, the first part of it, as it talks about the Jubilee year. And this is chapter 25, and it's just verses 1 to 22, and the rest of the chapter has to do with other matters, so we'll just focus upon this part of the Word of God tonight. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit, but in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your fruit or prune your vineyard field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker, and a sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle, for the wild animals that are in your land, all the yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of the atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout your, all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you, in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, or gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you, you may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property, and if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you should be eating some of the old crop you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. We'll stop there this evening in the reading of God's word. And let's look at Jubilee, a view of heaven. And we shall see in your outline the Jubilee principles, the land rests, liberty is proclaimed, and property is returned. But these are the Old Testament types and shadows. 
and the heavenly principles are fulfilled in Christ in rest and release from slavery to sin and relieved from debt of the highest sort. And that's our outline for this evening. If you wish to follow along, it's there in the insert. And let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, give us this view of heaven. And thank you that we do have even now a day of rest in which we can also look forward to that great Sabbath day in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you have been to family reunions. I hope if you have been, they have been pleasant for you. I see some of you are going to be traveling to visit family. It's always pleasant, generally speaking, because these are your loved ones. Or you might have a class reunion. This is a little bit more difficult. I hadn't been to one until I had my, I know, 50th high school reunion. And it was a little strange because I hadn't seen these people for a long, long time. But it was still kind of a nice time in the sense that you get to see people you hadn't seen for years. Imagine now heaven for just a moment. You get to be with all of your loved ones again. You get to see them. You get to be with them forever with no shadow of death hanging over you. The loved ones that you have lost who die in the Lord, you will see them again. And that's important to remember, isn't it? I know my son had said, I think I might have told you this story, but when my parents both died, he said, how can you, how can you manage that? It isn't that hard to experience. And I said, well, the comfort I have is that I know I will see them again. And that, to me, is a real comfort. And that is the kind of comfort that the Jubilee year gives you. It looks forward to heaven. You could almost say that the Jubilee was almost heaven. Jesus comes to establish the year of liberty, the year of the Lord's favor. And we hope one day to be getting off that merry-go-round in heaven of year after year or week after week or day after day until we reach the eternal Sabbath rest. The Jubilee is a bigger version of the Sabbath because there are seven sevens. I think I've mentioned this to you before. The Hebrew word for jubilee is horn, or that's a description of plenty or festival of harvest. The Lord Jesus Christ also encourages us to know the scripture. And the word release is also used in one of the translations of the Old Testament. And in English, the word we generally associate with joy. So joy, rest, release, and plenty, all of that is symbolized in the Jubilee year. Rest, release, and restoration, all because of the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. Now, there were three Jubilee principles that are in Leviticus chapter 25. The Sabbath is applied only to weeks, but also to years, and indeed to weeks of years. The seventh day is the, the weekly day of rest. The seventh month is the annual month of rest. And the seventh year is a sabbatical year of rest, but seven sevens or 49 plus one gives us the jubilee year, which you might say is the super Sabbath. Sabbaths of years. The jubilee is an eighth year celebration. 
There are eighth-day celebrations, which are often on the first day of the week in the Old Testament even, referring back to that first dawn of creation when God created the world, the resurrection of Christ when God raised our Savior from the dead, and the year, the, the day rather, in of Pentecost, which also is a first-day celebration. So these celebrations are all about new beginnings, the beginning of creation, the beginning of new life in the resurrected Christ, the beginning of a new age in the Holy Spirit being poured out. And therefore, all of this first-day celebration is about redemption and festival, and particularly of rest. The first thing that's supposed to rest, believe it or not, is the land. Now you might say, oh, wait a minute, does the land really wear out? Well, in some sense it does. Some of you may know that some farmers allow their fields every once in a while to lie fallow, meaning they don't plant crops in that particular year. It's the same idea. There's kind of a restoration of the life that's in those fields in biological terms, but in spiritual terms, it is again a symptom or a symbol of eternal rest. For six years, Israel was to reap and sow, prune and gather, but the seventh year, Israel was commanded to give the land its rest. And then if Israel would leave the land alone on the seventh year, it would produce enough food for them, more than enough food. The sabbatical year provided bounty without labor. It is a picture of Eden when Adam and Eve governed creation without the toil and sweat that came with the fall, although they still did, of course, keep the land. But the sabbatical year is a part of that six and one pattern. For six years, they toil and sweat. On the seventh year, they rest and enjoy the fruits of the land, even though they would worry, what if we don't get the harvest? What if we don't have enough to eat? But God promised he would provide as in the desert, as he provided manna, more than enough if they simply let that day go by on the seventh day of the week, you remember. And so God would provide plenty of harvest. The problem is they had to trust God to do that. And as we'll see in a little while, they didn't do it very often. Now on this day of atonement, the trumpet would sound, and there would be liberty proclaimed throughout the land, and slaves would be freed. Now, these were not the kind of slaves we remember in America. These are like indentured servants who sold their labor if they got into debt. So it was really a way to pay off debt, but that meant that someday every slave would be freed and counted to have paid their debt and they would therefore be debt-free. Liberty was proclaimed, incidentally, since I'm from Philadelphia. This particular verse is inscribed on the Liberty Bell. I don't think it's quite the proper application, but nonetheless, it is on that bell. Liberty shall be proclaimed throughout the land. Interestingly enough, a biblical verse sitting there on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. The third thing is that property would be returned. Now, there's only so much property in Israel, and the property belonged to each family. 
And each family would give its property or parts of its property to the sons and the grandsons and so forth down through the land uh, and its history in the promised land. If it was sold to you to pay a debt that was owed to you, then you could not keep it forever. You could use it for the crops, depending on how many years were left before that jubilee or that seventh day, seventh times seventh year plus one. The land belongs not to you, it says, but it belongs to the Lord. Perhaps you have heard stories of this occasionally. I know one time a few years ago I read a story about a man in Salt Lake City who had become homeless. And there came a time when his relatively wealthy brother passed away and he left the land to his homeless brother. Now don't ask me why he didn't help him before that. I don't know. That's the story, however. And can you imagine being homeless and suddenly you have property? that you couldn't live on, theoretically, for the rest of your life. This is similar to what happened to the people who were, had lost property or who were enslaved. We find that they had everything that they lost restored to them. Now, God wanted Israel to think of themselves as strangers and sojourners in the land. The land of Israel is no longer significant. It has been dispelled in its meaning to the reality of the earth as the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the new heavens and the new earth, which someday is going to be our inheritance in heavenly glory. So we want to remember that God is going to give us all an eternal new start. However long and hard your life has been, however little you may have had in this life, you will have plenty in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. The new beginning that you long for will be yours. So we find the Jubilee enables you to get your land back if you lost it, having to pay off a debt. It's returned to the family debt-free, and the people would then say, if they did this, thank you, Lord, for the Jubilee. Let's celebrate. It's heaven on earth. It's almost heaven. It's a taste of heaven, a foretaste of freedom in Christ. But as I mentioned, Israel was not always known for her obedience. In other words, they didn't do it. They didn't give the land its rest. They didn't return the land back to its original owner. They didn't free the slaves. Why? Because, well, that seemed too hard for them. Somebody who owns land wants to give it back. No, he's not going to want to give it back. Or if you have slaves, you don't want to free them. You're going to lose that labor. And therefore, God, it says in 2 Corinthians 36, at least in part, took the people away from the land to captivity in Babylon so that the land would finally get its rest or its Sabbaths that they had not given to it. Israel had denied the land its rest. The Jubilee was rarely celebrated at all, but for us, we have the fulfillment of this Jubilee in your life, even though you say, well, we don't do this anymore. Well, we don't, but we also do. In Matthew chapter 11, 
John the Baptist was in prison. He's going, what jubilee is this? I thought Jesus was the Messiah. Should we perhaps wait for another? When am I going to get my freedom? It turned out he wouldn't and he would perish, in fact. And therefore, he had to rely upon his faith in Christ as the Messiah to even endure an unjust and terrible death, and he wouldn't see everything that the disciples later would see, but he would see the signs of God's blessing that are even greater than the blessing in the Old Covenant. Jesus says, go tell John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This jubilee is fulfilled in Christ's finished work, his death and particularly his resurrection. The resurrection promises liberty for the captives. It promises peace and rest. It promises relief from debt. And we see all of these things announced to us in Jesus Christ. We have heard perhaps of that famous writing called Paradise Lost, in which Milton reminds us that Adam lost the garden. Talk about losing land. He lost the earth. He lost the paradise into which, which he had been given deed and title and freedom. And he was banished from the garden. And therefore, it was especially wonderful to hear that Isaiah 51 would promise that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he quotes Isaiah 50, 61 on that day in his hometown of Nazareth. Today, these things are fulfilled in your hearing to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. So Jesus Christ himself inherited the earth for us, but not before he had lost so very much. Jesus Christ was driven out of the blessing of God. There upon the cross, he experienced condemnation, you remember, and became the accursed man. He lost deed and title and freedom and life. He became a slave for us and lost his life for us. Jesus Christ, nevertheless, is the one who redeems us from death and loss. Though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, but that's not all, that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Even though we don't have much in this life, perhaps, we are the child of a king. Now, it takes great faith, faith to actually have lived the Jubilee, and it takes great faith to you, for you to actually know these things are true and to celebrate every Lord's Day the reality of our faith. For example, we're told to tithe our income in thanks to the Lord, and we might say, if I do that, I'm going to have less. God promises, no, I'm going to open the storehouses of heaven. And pour out a blessing till there is no more room, but you still have to say, do I really want to do this? Do you hesitate? Or do you know that God will give blessing to you? It takes a measure of faith to give over to God those things that you are afraid you will lose, but you have to know you will get it all back. 
and more. So therefore, you know that you shall rest from your labors. The land was supposed to rest. You're supposed to rest from your labors because life is not easy. I know you know that. It is burdensome. Sometimes we can hardly stand it. Sometimes we can not wait very easily for heaven, but we must. By resting from our labors, we have peace with God. Come unto me, Jesus says famously, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and what will he give you? He will give you rest. That's a big word. doesn't mean you just take a load off your feet. It means you have rest from everything that tasks you. All the struggles that you have in life, I will give you ultimately rest, and particularly that you might rest in Christ. We someday will have a future land of rest. We are not there fully yet. Revelation says they will rest from their labors. Indeed, they will rest from their labors, and their works will follow after them. Meanwhile, for the wicked, what does the Bible say in Revelation 14? There will be, for the wicked, no rest, day or night, forever. For the believer, rest in eternity. A tremendous relief from all the sorrows and struggles with sin and with sorrow that we have endured in this life. We will have rest and peace You rest from your labors now, knowing that Christ has justified you freely by his grace, and that's good, but later it will be even sweeter. Secondly, you are released from slavery. Now, in the Old Testament, God delivered his people, literally, out of bondage, out of slavery. I am the Lord your God, who have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to Egypt. And the law did not help Christ as to set us free from this bondage to sin. Romans 7. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Christ we are released from slavery to sin. Unbelievers are through fear of death subject to lifelong slavery. Can you imagine being an unbeliever and not knowing what you will face after death, hoping it will be nothing. But it is something, and you're not going to be able to avoid it if you're an unbeliever. Lifelong slavery, lifelong fear of death. But Romans chapter 8 says, not only are you delivered out of fear of death, but the creation itself will be set free from Here's the slavery image again. Flee free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This whole creation is groaning. It's under bondage. It's under slavery to the results of sin. And we see the effects everywhere. Their will for the people of God and for the whole new creation be a future of deliverance from bondage, from groaning, from labor, from trials, and from tears. It is a reversal of of Eden's fall. Where thorn and thistles invaded, we will find there to be nothing but peace. Where the lion, as, as Isaiah says, lies down with the lamb. Complete picture 
of peace, and we shall rest from our labors. So we are able to rest from our labors. We are able to be released from our slavery. And in the third place, you are relieved from debt. Now, debt in physical terms is a problem. Very few people can live without some form of debt, usually a mortgage, maybe even a lot of debt on credit cards, and wondering what will happen in the future. Will I have a place to stay? Will I have a place to live? Will I actually be able to retire? Will we have enough money if the economy goes south? Will we become poorer and poorer until all we have left is a little tiny place a little bed in a hospital where life is over. Now, of course, our greatest debt is not to our creditors, but to God. A debt we can never repay unless we are released from this debt somehow. And, of course, in the Jubilee year, you were released from debt. It's an amazing thing. But then, of course, you might incur more debt and you have to go pay it off again or hope for the Jubilee or whatever it might be. But for, for Jesus' people, he will dwell with us to the point of jubilee and release from debt. No more will you owe anything to God. You don't owe anything now, except a life of gratitude, which is a joyous way to serve the God who released you from the payment for your own sins, the debt that you cannot repay. And then, in my Father's house, Jesus says, you're going to have a place to live. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. In the church, we will find people living in heavenly glory, fulfilling all of our desires and eternal inheritance, reserved in heaven that shall never pass away. We are heirs with Christ. We will inherit heavenly glory it is not heaven yet, and sometimes it's hard to wait. And it's a little bit easy to say, well, I'm going to make the best kind of life I can have in this life. Well, it might happen or it might not. And even if you are relatively comfortable, eventually you will have nothing. You will die. Your life will be gone. You won't have anything left, except if you're a believer. You have your inheritance still in heaven. That weekly Sabbath is followed by the rest of the week, but then someday an eternal Sabbath will come. We have another year of labor ahead of us, but then we'll have a Sabbath year. The super, super Sabbath of Jubilee is a token of the release from captivity, the release from debt, and the wonderful glory of resting from our labors. We celebrate the Sabbath now in many ways, particularly on the Lord's Day, but also every day by resting in the Lord, by saying to yourself, I have rest. In fact, I can lay down and sleep in rest, for the Lord provides for his loved ones even in their sleep. I was talking to one of you today, not always easy to sleep. One day last week, I was thinking about something. I couldn't get back to sleep. I, had, I was up for two or three hours. Didn't have a good rest. And I told my wife about it, and I was thinking about something that I shouldn't have been worried about. And I'm sure you've had that problem yourself. 
We don't need to worry. The Lord will provide for his loved ones even while we sleep. So rest every night. Rest every Lord's Day. Rest comes to you eventually in heaven. And even now we have rest by trusting in his providence while we labor and while we wait, knowing that our warfare is really over and our rest is coming someday. That's your jubilee. And rejoice in it. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord God, for the rest that we have from our labors, the release, Lord, uh, from our slavery to sin, and being relieved from death itself, as well as the debt that we owe you. We have in you a wonderful eternal life. And we therefore view that life from afar, and yet we know that because Jesus is there, we shall be there with him also. Thank you for this assurance as long as we live. In Jesus' name, amen.